Hey, everybody, we are back. Welcome to another episode of More Than the Title. I'm your host, as usual, Jared Thomas. And I don't know why the intro was just hitting, hitting good today. So that's that's what's up. So I appreciate everybody for the check-in. Thank you for all the love and support, guys. Like, our YouTube is going crazy, and I'm so appreciative of everybody for supporting. Like, it means a lot to me, guys. So I appreciate y'all for checking in. And we got a special, special guest today. Special guest. I'm not even going to go with the long intro, but I want to tell you that I admire this young lady so much. Um, when I first started my LinkedIn journey, you know, she was the first person that I saw on LinkedIn that looked like me, that talked like me, and I felt. And it was like, holy shit, I can do this. And it was really, you know what I'm saying? I went on LinkedIn. Imagine going on LinkedIn. I see a, a young black black woman that's talking proudly, being authentic with blue hair. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she has a great following. She's super authentic. She does a lot of great things for the community, for the culture. Um, you know, I just want to thank you for joining on. But let's introduce our special guest, Madison Butler. What's up, sis? Oh, God, thanks. It's so funny that you say that. I am so shadow banned right now on LinkedIn. I'm so what? Let's yeah. talk about it. No, let's talk about oh, it. Oh, God. <laughs> Let's talk. So what, what is shadow shadow what is shadow banning and consist of on LinkedIn? What are they doing? So I can always tell because my my content is like regularly the same in terms of engagement. And so is like how I grow followers. Yeah. But the thing that will set me off is people will message me and be like, Oh my God, have you gotten off LinkedIn? I haven't seen your content. Are you okay? And I'm like, Nope, I'm still here writing content every day. Um, so it's so frustrating, but it's so normal. For them yeah. um so for me like i used to probably gain about a thousand followers a week i'm like lucky if i hit like 10 followers a week right now um but people really like can't see my content even if they follow me i had someone who said they have like alerts on my posts yeah. and they're still not getting alerted when i post that i i'm not gonna lie i i dealt with that the same thing i didn't see your post for like four months i forgot when but I didn't see. I was like, what the hell is up with Madison? I haven't seen her. I know you. I know you out here. And then I had to actually go to your page, see your content. And then once I started engaging with it more, it started popping back on the feed. But yep. that's, that's crazy. A thousand followers a week, sis. Yeah. That's, I, insane. Uh... <laughs> that's insane. Like, I'm not even going to ask. Insane. Now, I need you to answer the question, too, sis, because I know people are, are curious. And I've always been curious because your pen is fire. How? Do, what is your What is your process for coming up with content? Do you off the spot like you get inspired and you just kind of just type it out no type I don't care what it is I'm just gonna let it fly or yeah um so yes basically I have like a process I typically post around, I try to post around the same time every day because that's when people okay. expect it um so I usually get coffee and I like make my whole house feel like, like both my partners are like required to not be in the room so I can think. <laughs> um but honestly it's, it's just usually pre-written and sometimes I may like recycle old content too because I'll, I'll still want to touch on the same topics but I'll write new stuff about the same topic yeah. so I'll go back and read some of my old content maybe that I haven't talked about in a while um I also use trolls a lot for inspiration recently yeah. I've gotten some like pretty heady death threats so that's been great they've been really good for content for me um <laughs> yeah it's not like I don't have like a big intense process for the next few hours and it's funny because a lot of my trolls are like oh my god how do you have a job you're on LinkedIn all day it takes me 10 minutes maybe to write my content and then maybe maybe I'll spend another 10 minutes on Canva if it needs a graphic um so like all in all a 20 minute a day process isn't isn't too bad that's fire. And, and I thought I was the only one. I'm not going to lie to you. I have no process either. I try to do around the same time, but I feel like timing really doesn't even matter, too, because it's good content. It's good content. It's going to show. But yep. a thousand followers in a week. Like, like what is what do you think is the biggest? What is the What is the thing that's contributed to your success on LinkedIn? Why do you think people follow you? I know why I do. But what is the one thing that you think 
that draws people to you? You know, I think it's the fact that I talk about all this stuff in a way that makes it feel real and I don't really sugarcoat it. I think a lot of what you see and especially DEI workshops and DEI programming is stuff that centers whiteness because at the end of the day, you're trying to get white people to tune in. I don't care. Um, I I don't write my content for whiteness. I don't write my content for white people because and I'll say this over and over, like I don't do this work because I want to like save racists from themselves. I personally don't care, like go be a racist. Um, However, my whole thing and the whole reason I do this work is to dismantle the systems that allow them to thrive. Mm. So they're always going to be here. We're never going to solve for the individual because some people, regardless of education, they choose this because it benefits them. White supremacy benefits them. So why would they let it go? So for me, my whole thing is is about dismantling oppressive systems like white supremacy because everything else stems from that. And Mm. I think a lot of people especially in communities that are marginalized, understand what it's like to sit in a room for a DEI workshop 101 and you got like white people crying and you're like, why are you crying? Please stop crying. (laughs) (laughs) This is not your moment. And I don't want to give them that moment. That's, you know, every other moment in life is about them. And it's certainly not going to happen on my page and my content and my writing. Sis, you you are so real. And this is why I love you. So where did that start from? Obviously, because, you know, you're African-American, all that other good stuff. We've been through the struggle. But most people are hesitant to talk about the the topics that you talk about, myself included. So when I see some of your posts, I'd be like, you said that shit? (laughs) Can we say, is it possible to say? And I'd be so proud. But I also think about what are the ramifications of, of that, right? How can it help or affect or hurt your career? So what advice would you give to another Black professional, you know, male or female that love your content and want to start their personal branding, but want to speak about topics that you speak about? So how do you get them over that fear? Or what advice would you give? I think it comes with knowing that it also 100% means that everyone's going to like you. You're not for everyone. I'm not for everyone. And that is at this point in my journey, 100% by design. I do not want to work for people or for organizations who don't want to do this work. And I mean the real work, not like the let's have a workshop and hug and we'll have cookies after, like not that work. And so for me, like the greatest part about my brand is I'm so out front that like the only companies that reach out to me are companies that are like, oh, this is what we want. Mm -hmm. But it means you have to get really good at rejection, which is fine, Um, but it sucks. Like there's no point of rejection that doesn't, suck because human nature is to crave acceptance and to crave community. And regardless, if you hate someone, it still feels bad when they reject your identity and who you are. But when it comes to the spaces that I have to inhabit 40 hours a week, I want them to genuinely see me as the person I am and not what I can do for them. I am very aware that I'm very good at what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a long time, that's why people wanted me because I could come in and do that work, but they didn't give a shit about who I was outside of my nine to five, but it turns out the person I am outside of my nine to five is exactly who I am in my nine to five. And they didn't want that. They wanted me to like take off my little, my little yeah. gay sweater and put it in my cubby and be like, all right, I'll grab that at five. Yeah. Um, that's just not reality. That's not how the world works. Um, even if that's how we've been programmed to think the world works. And, and so, you know, I would encourage you that it sucks. It sucks in the beginning. It sucks to be rejected, but there is so much power and understanding who you need to be for yourself. That, that is so real. There is power in getting to call yourself home instead of trying to consistently run to the door of other people's acceptance. And that's been a really freeing thing for me. 
That's that's amazing, sis. And that, but I'm curious too, because I, I I know first of all what you're following and the love that you get. So I know you're able to get in the rooms, and your authenticity kind of filters out and gives you the businesses and the people that you need to be around. It allows you the people who want to see you and want to go after the initiatives and you know after the same missions as you see you and accept you. But like, what about that rejection? Has there been one time that you have been rejected and you kind of knew it was kind of as a result of the content? And how did you get over that? I've definitely had moments like that. And I think for me, it's always just being in the mindset that it's never about what rooms like deserve or are deserving of me. Um, It's not about that. It's not about like these things. I should deserve to be in any room that I want to be in. And if they're not the right people for me, then they're not the right people for me. And that's okay. Because at the end of the day, I know when I'm being rejected for something, it's probably something that was going to be fucking traumatic. Someone's going to ask me that like one that sent me right over. Um, And so for me, that's how I try to look at it. It's like, I'm being spared from something that would have contributed to the trauma cycle. And I would much rather someone be upfront about that in a consulting meeting with me or like a original call with me than like six months into us working together. And they're like, oh, actually I hate everything about you. And now I'm stuck in a contract with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, I really think about it is like, I, the things that aren't for me aren't going to come to me and that's fine because it's making room for the things that are for me. Yeah. Um, and so- that has been a really hard lesson to learn because I've had to really teach myself that like, it's okay when people don't like me. It's okay when people don't like me. When people say mean things to you, it is not a reflection of you. It is a reflection of like, they're going through some stuff. Um, and that's been hard because especially on LinkedIn, like dudes are weird. Like they will- Everybody's <laughs> weird. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Like I literally had a picture of me on LinkedIn and I'm in the gym, like with okay. headphones on and some guy was like, if you thought about going to the gym and I was like, Huh? Can't like wait. I'm literally in the I'm literally in the gym. I don't I don't know what more you could ask me to do here. Um and it's it's really kind of hard to separate yourself from that, but it's something that I've worked to do to know that people's opinions of me aren't actually a reflection of myself. The only opinion that really actually matters is my own, and I have to like me. Yeah. That's so true. But where, where did that come from, sis? Because I, I love your attitude and I feel like I have that same attitude, right? And, and that's what makes us unique, right? But where was the moment where you just said, F it? Like, I'm done. I'm in a corporate spot. I'm tired of this shit. It had to be one moment that you said, I am done. I know for me, sis, I know I had to cut my hair to, in order to get a raise. And that was early in my career. And even more so when I was kind of going through up and down with sales. You have a good year. You have a bad year. I'm sitting there doing everything they're telling me to do. I'm trying to be me. I'm try- I got the phone voice. I'm doing everything they're telling me to do. And the, and the effing sucked, right? And then as soon as I said, I'm done with it. I'm going to put the hat on, put the hoodie on. I'm going to be, I'm going to show up as myself. And I know I know my shit. So it is what it is. You like me or you don't. So what was that moment for you that you just said, I'm over it. I'm done. And whatever comes with it, comes with it. And I'm going to be successful. It's funny. I have, I still have my phone voice. I'm, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still very good at it. White lady. It's great. Um, so for me, I think there's two separate moments because I was never this person in my personal life for a really long time. I was actually like the antithesis of this mm-hmm. person. I was full of internalized anti-blackness. I was full of trying to run from myself and convincing myself that my blackness was actually a hindrance to me and not a gift. And so I grew up in a world where I tried to do everything but. I straightened my hair until 
basically my ends fell off. I made sure that my phone voice was on all the time. I leaned into whiteness as hard as I could, which basically led to me dating a white dude who was really bad, like really, really bad. Um, and he was not only a racist, but he was physically abusive. He was emotionally abusive. He was financially abusive. And for whatever reason, I was like, oh, we should totally move across the country together. That's a great idea. Um, so we moved to Houston, Texas. And I remember calling the cops and them just not caring. And I had this like, I knew it. I was like, I'm going to go missing in Texas and no one's going to know because I don't have any family here. I don't have any connections here. And by the time anyone even thinks that maybe I just haven't been responding to my phone for a couple of days, it's going to be too late. Too late yeah. And so I had been keeping what was like the, if I go missing file. So I had recordings and pictures and all of these things. Um, so a couple months after we broke up, it was the 2020 election. <laughs> and I had posted a video of him that was just like him basically being like, n-word 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 trump's gonna send you back to africa n-word 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 and i was young and like in my like mid-20s so i didn't really understand the internet and so i posted on my personal facebook thinking no one else would see it except my personal facebook but the point was to say like there are people who are voting for this man because they feel like this this yeah not because of party loyalty not because of whatever so fast forward about 24 hours all of a sudden it's viral it's on like every every news outlet my mom's listening to it on xm radio i'm on shade room it's like Terrible. <laughs> terrible. And and no one reaches out to me to ask my side of the story. They just make a story. And every story that came out was based on the fact that I was black. Everyone was like, oh, this poor black girl must have been dating this white man for his money. I'm 10 years younger and I've always made more money than this man. I like always. Yeah. And the fact that every story that was written about me was about the fact that I was black was a very public reckoning with all of the work I had been doing to try and run from that part of myself. And so I had this like moment that I was like, well, shit, if no matter what I do, the whole world only sees that I'm black, why can't I see that I'm black? So I spent a lot of time unpacking and unlearning all of the harmful stuff I thought about myself, about I thought about other people, the harmful shit I've said to people. Um, Cause I gave like big Candace Owens energy and, and there's a correlation here because her hair is dry. My hair was dry. I'm telling you I'm <laughs> that anti-blackness makes your hair dry. I'm like, no more dry hair. It's great. Um, so <laughs> moisturized. <laughs> moisturized. Um, so I made, just made this commitment to myself that I was going to unlearn all this harmful stuff that I had been conditioned to just absorb. Yeah. In my relationships, in my relationship with myself, in my family, like all of it. So then fast forward, um, I'm in an interview a while, a long time later. Mm -hmm. and at this point, I already have blue hair. Like I've had this like very much butterfly transformation. I like gave up my loafers and my straight hair. Um, and I go to this interview and they're like, oh my God, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I was like, but, and they were like, but we need you to control your hair. She straight up said, we need you to control your hair, which I knew what that meant. Um, you need to take out your nose ring. You need to cover your tattoos. You need to wear a skirt yeah. and you'll need to wear heels. And I was like, Okay, thank you. Please send me the offer letter because we're so conditioned to be grateful when people want to work with us. Oh, yeah. um, that's just, oh my God, thank you. I'm so excited. Thank you for I'll your do it. We'll celebrate. <laughs> exactly. And then I'm driving home and I like just started thinking about how many times did people want to work with me, but they didn't actually care about me. They actually hated me, but they knew I'm good at what I do. And so mm. I was like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to make sure that no one asks me to change my hair again. Ha. Huh. So I go home and I'm like, blue haired recruiter because I was in recruiting at this point and I put it on my LinkedIn um, and that's how we got here today. Wow. <laughs> what, what, and what, <laughs> what inspired the blue hair? Because I got to ask this. That's what drew me to you and I thought that was excellent branding. I thought it was strategic. I thought you went Takashi on me. I was like, <laughs> I was like but I was like, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see somebody that looks like you on the net. 
It's true. And uh, the worst part of this is like, I only ever get recognized in real life when I'm a hot mess, like getting off a plane at 7 a.m. I got off a red eye a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and I like had my hair up and some girl was like, I know who you are. And I was like, do you? Do you really? <laughs> I was like, I got no sleep. Hello. Good morning. Um, or like I ran into someone at Trader Joe's after the gym and they were like, I know you. And I was like, oh, God, I'm sweaty. Like, it's never when I look good. Um, but I've been every color. And honestly, like the simple answer is blue has been the absolute easiest. Um, and living in Texas, it was just a reminder of like, again, we talked about it before we got on. I'm just like East Coast through and through. And I really missed the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, my hair was always a reminder of me of like this oceany color that I loved. And now I've put it in my brand and I'm kind of stuck with it because of that. Love it. So, here I love we are. It, I love this, this. And you brought up something crazy too. Like, so say you get off a flight and people are starting to recognize you. Does that also scare you? Or do you also, because I would imagine if I'm you, my head would be on a swivel and I'm saying that respectfully, you know what I'm saying? So like, how do you, how do you ease this? Like, cause that's, that's, it's scary. Honestly, the biggest for me is my, I'm always looking around, but the scariest thing for me is when I'm on a stage, like at a keynote Mm. and I can't see the crowd Um, because I get so many death threats. And then like my schedule is so public that that for me is really scary. I try to be like friendly when people recognize me, but I'm really awkward in real life. And I was just like, Oh my God, Hi. Like, how's it going? Uh, let me text you real quick. <laughs> See me on LinkedIn, fam. Yeah, and I'm, I never, like, know what to do. Uh, one time someone recognized me, like, as I was going in an airplane bathroom, and I was just like, <laughs> what else are you going to do? I had to pee. Um, so, you know, it is, especially with, like, the death threats I get. I mean, last week my death threats were so interesting that the FBI was interested in them. Um, wow. Because people on the internet... And, you know, I think the scarier thing is not knowing, like, who's serious and who's exactly. not. Exactly. You nailed it. And that's the, and then it's hard to because, like I said, you, the way your personality is, you want to show love. You want to, you know, let people know what's going on. And you want to touch the people. Like, you're supporting me. I want to say what's up. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be no, no a-hole or anything like that. But then I also are getting threats and things like that. Like, my experiences has been completely different. Like and I'm waiting. Nobody has ever tried me or test me. I don't know what I don't know what it is, but you know, I'm saying Bronx shit. I don't know what's up. Are you tall? Because I'm not very tall. So no, I'm six feet. I will whoop yeah, somebody. I'm, not, I'm, I'm a I'm a solid five two, and I'm like normally wearing Crocs. So like I'm not a good. I'm not. I'm. If you were going to take me, oh, you got. Oh no, you got to you got to get some Air Maxes just in case. Just in case we got to get you out of there. We got to protect you at all costs. Real shit. It's funny that you say that. I'm, like, really interested in this TikTok channel where all she does is teach you how to get out of, like, scenarios if you've been kidnapped, like, with zip ties. They all involve shoestrings. And I never have shoestrings because I never wear real shoes. Oh, my goodness. That's (laughs) that's crazy. And then, matter of fact, I want to take it off the negatives. We're going to stay positive, sis. We're going to put positivity in the air. And what is the the best thing that has happened to you or the coolest thing that has happened to you since you've had your audience? Was it like a fan saying how how much you inspired them or touched them? Was it meeting a celebrity or something like that? What was that one moment you were like, damn? Okay, yeah. I mean, I actually don't like her, but I think this is kind of cool. Um, So I was featured in Fortune magazine a couple months ago. And Sheryl Sandberg emailed me like personally. (laughs) To be like, I think your story, because this is the story I told about domestic violence. Um, And she was like, I just think you're really inspiring. And like, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I was like, how did you get my email, Sheryl Sandberg? (laughs) It was a Saturday. I was in the pool and I was like, I have an email from Sheryl Sandberg. Why does that name sound familiar? And I like Googled her and I was like, oh, 
She's worth $268 million. That's why her name sounds familiar. I mean, and she was, I don't know if she was the CMO. I don't know if she was C-level yes. at Meta. Yes, and she's got really a really like ick history because she wrote Lean In, which was a book made for white women. Um, but it's just been cool to kind of see different people reach out to me that I would be like, how do you know I exist? That is Cheryl <laughs> um, Sandberg. Um, did you like I don't want to hang out with you, but I think that's cool that you reached out to me, not the other way around. Oh, absolutely. But did you ever try to I, I gotta ask you, did you shoot your shot to get at Meta? Oh no, ew. I'll come through tell my story for about 20, 30 bands. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm definitely. Oh, and I will say so. Technically, this company has like a wicked embargo on like what I talk about, but I did talk at like one of the largest fan companies this year. Mm -hmm. They flew me there, and their CFO was there and sat next to me and was like, I'm clearing my day so I can hear you talk. And I was like, No pressure. I'm going to throw up on you, but cool. Awesome. Great. Oh, yeah. um, and that was like wild to me that I was like, This man who is the CFO of a company that has 65,000 people just in the city I was in. Mm -hmm. um like wants to hear me talk about race cool oh that's amazing sis have you ever have you ever had a feeling all right do you ever feel like the pressure gets a lot because i'm not gonna lie to you sometimes you know when i my stuff is hitting and then i get somebody from germany france or somebody like chad i love your story i love your shit i love what you do but sometimes the pressure creeps in i'm like damn what, what do i say today what do i do that do you ever get that feeling or it feels like you don't want to say the wrong thing or impact your brand, you know, in a negative way? And how yeah, do you I, think the, I think the thing that I struggle with the most is being impatient with stuff mm -hmm. and being worried that, like, if I don't do things right now, then I'll never get to do them. Um, okay. That, for me, is, like, the scariest part of this. Because I have tons of days where I just don't want to write content, and then I feel like I have to because I'm trying to land this book deal. And... <laughs> That I feel like if I don't land this book deal now, like when am I going to land it? And can I like continue this pace forever with content? Maybe, probably. Um, but I just like talk myself down of like, oh my God, what if like people just don't want to read my stuff anymore? And then what? Um, yeah. And I like spiral and I have this like mo momentary like panic. And having to coach myself, I'm like, I deserve all of the good things because we're taught that we don't deserve them. And yeah. I live in a world where I am not <laughs> the, the cookie cutter version of what good is supposed to look like. And even even now, you know, years and years later, I'm still convincing myself like, no, like you deserve this moment. You deserve this shine. You deserve that nice bag, whatever it is, yeah. um, because if I'm going to have to live in a world full of racists, I should enjoy the car I drive. I should enjoy the bag I carry and I shouldn't have to feel bad about it either. Since you be dropping bars. <laughs> well, it's funny. One of the comments I get all the time is, well, why don't you humble yourself? But like, would anyone ever ask a white dude to humble himself? Like, you never have to. No. Why don't you have to dim your lights so somebody else can shine? And we're done with that. We're done with that. And so I'm so over, over that just thing. And, and matter of fact, I want to ask you a question because I was talking about this off camera with one of my mentors. And I'm curious. I want a real answer. I know you're going to give me the real, but what does playing the game mean to you? in a corporate environment. What does playing the game? Because that's something, and for context, for everybody listening, when I came into the industry, it was always you had to dress a certain way. You had to speak a specific way. You had to carry yourself a certain way. You had to do things. It was literally like a playbook. And I was like, brother, don't do that. Brother, don't do that. Brother, oh, yeah. definitely don't do that, brother. And I lived that way. And I had my, I went through my career, my entire career that way. And for the last three years, it just didn't stop effort. So I'm curious, what does that mean for you, sis? And what do we what do we tell other brothers and sisters, other professionals that are in the game that are just like stuck and want to get out? Like, What advice would you give? 
So I think I'm in a really privileged position because I don't play the game anymore just because I won't do it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to play like workplace politics. I'm not going to like laugh at jokes that I don't think are funny. I'm not going to stay quiet when things make me uncomfortable or when things are just straight up harmful. But that's what playing the game is. You are taught that you have to trade your silence for a paycheck. You have to trade your identity for a promotion. You have to trade pieces of you in order to be accepted. And that's what we basically taught is inclusion. Inclusion is I accept the nice rounded out blurred edges of you, but I don't accept you at a hundred. And so one of the things I go into companies and I talk about is like authenticity isn't like enjoying black culture or like rainbows in June. It's the hard shit. It's that when George Floyd was murdered, how did you actually respond? Did you allow people to step away or did you ask them to come to work and not talk about race because it makes white people uncomfortable? Mm. Because that's not what actual inclusion is. Inclusion is accepting me at 100 and knowing that I'm not always great because the world is literally burning around me. Um, And how do you manage that? And it's not always some big societal trauma. It's not always COVID or George Floyd. Sometimes it's something more personal. Sometimes it's a sick parent, a sick child, financial issues, a divorce. Yeah. And for me, so much of us have to play the game and pretend none of that is happening. You have to go to work and pretend that like, everything is great. I'm sending my emails. I'm sending my Slack. I'm smiling, smile and dial. And that's just not reality. That's not reality. And so for me, that's what playing the game is when you have to basically bend to whiteness to make yourself look like an acceptable version of yourself because we've decided that emotions and life experiences are not work appropriate. Damn, that that was a, a great great summation <laughs> of that sis and i'm tired of playing the game if anybody's hearing this like for any professionals out there you don't have to play the game madison is an example of that i'm an example of that you have a choice you have a choice to do it right the, the hard choices i know for somebody like me i'm at a point right now in my career if i don't get a seat at the table i'm creating my own table and yep. that's just what it is and that's sometimes that's what we might have to do in order to make and have that voice. So, and I'm also, I wanted to bring back to the book deal too, sis, because I wanted to holler at you about that. Why do you feel like you need a book deal for distribution with your audience? Because you could literally just come up with a subscriber list, send it out to 100K of them. Even if you get a fraction of that, you take all the money. So why, why I'm just curious, what, what was your mindset behind that? The time dedication to doing it and then finding an editor. Um, so I have a lit agent now, we're shopping publishers. And I think for me, like, I really just want a publisher who gets it and gets me. I don't want to argue with white supremacy. I'm like, this book makes white men uncomfortable. Yeah, like, I hope so. I hope they're uncomfortable. I hope they see this book and they throw it. Um, And that's, I think, really hard because publishing is at the intersection of whiteness. White men are the biggest demographic of book buyers, which means they inherently cater to who they are. Publishing houses are predominantly owned by white men. And so it is exactly like tech where all of their funds and all of their interests are being funneled into white male interest. Um, which I don't know if you noticed, I am neither white nor male or interested. So <laughs> keep it real. It's 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 definitely been a journey. You know, I'm really excited about my book. It'll get written either way. Um, yeah. but I would love to not have to put in the hours of self-publishing because I already got a job and then I got a consulting job and then I talk and then I gotta sleep and I do like to go to the gym. Um yeah. and I'd like to get paid up front. Fans. Facts. So <laughs> There are way worse people with worse audiences than me who get book deals and get, you know, paid. And it's back to the like, I deserve to get paid for the work I'm going to do. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And you brought up another great point because the way I looked at like it's like kind of like the music industry, right? You have the content. They're going to distribute the content. They have the audiences. They have the relationships with the stores and whatnot. They take a piece of that. You still have equity. They have a piece of ownership. But I'm like, for you, sis, like, you don't even need they ask. So like, so when Maybe you're shopping. Metal band. Yeah. So when you like someone, oh, that too. So like when you when you shop for these deals, like what are you looking for in the right partner? It's just somebody that's going to be like, look, I, I love the content. I'm just going to I believe in it as much as you. And how do you know if that's fake or not? I feel like for them, again, because my brand is so loud, I feel like in order for them to even like want to take a meeting with me, they have to kind of get it. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But it's really about knowing that when I'm asking for someone to edit my content, it's for grammar. It's for length. It's for flow. It is not for content. This yeah. is not someone else's story to tell. And I'm not going to make myself more palatable or water myself down just to feel like I'm worthy of a book. Because let me tell you, I've read some bad books. Yeah. Um, and this book shouldn't be about making people comfortable because that's never been who I've been. I've never been in the game of like, how can I make you feel good about your racism? Yeah. It's funny. Um, and so for me, that's really the important part. Like my, my dream publisher is actually a black owned publishing house. And I'm just okay. I'm trying to like get them to make eye contact with me. You know, when you like someone at a bar and you're trying to get them to make eye contact with you. That's yeah. They better start so, looking. Start I like their Instagram posts a lot in, in hopes. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, sis. <laughs> it's going to happen. And man, speaking of that, when you, like, as far as like, you know, putting putting a spotlight on professionals that are racist, right? And some of the comments and stuff you receive. What made you just say, I'm about to start putting you on blast? Because when I started seeing some of those posts, I was like, Oh shit! We could do that too. <laughs> my Twitter. So, um, where did that honestly, so it came down to so one of the things I really like to draw the comparison between is having been in an abusive relationship and being in corporate America. There are so many parallels. Oh, absolutely. There are so many similarities, but specifically the parallel between accountability. Mm -hmm. My like just for context sake, my ex recently this year pled guilty to revenge porn in 2022, like almost like more than half a decade later. And his punishment was that he has to write me a letter as if that was what I wanted, further communication. He has to do 60 hours of community service and like take a how to be a not angry white man class. And if he passes all of it, they'll expunge his record. What? I see so much of that in corporate America where I come to so-and-so and I say, hey, I had this experience with Bob or whatever. And yeah. they're like, well, Bob is such a good worker. Bob is our top sales producer. For 20 years. Yeah. Like <laughs> we'll have a talk with Bob, but it'll be good. Yeah. And then nothing happens. And I was tired of nothing happening because I know if you random man on the internet are comfortable spewing a bunch of like racist nonsense to me, a whole stranger on the internet, um, what are you doing to the people who you have to email, who you have to be in meetings with, who you're interviewing, who you manage? What do you like to them? Facts. And if you're so bold to do it on my page where it's very easy to verify the amount of followers I have, the amount of views I have, my engagement, you want the attention. And this is the only instance where I'm willing to give you the attention. So when you come to my page and you say all the stuff, I want you to keep that same energy when your boss sees it. Like, say mm. it with your chest, baby. Mm, stand on it. <laughs> yeah, like, you said it loud and clear. Like, there was one guy who he just, his rant was wild. It was like, I'm rarely shocked. And I was shocked. Like, shook. And I realized he worked at BMW. And I was like, dude, like. What? I was like, I drive a brand new 2022, ordered it myself, BMW. So like, this is disappointing. Mm. And then he doubled down. He was like, I know you're a customer. And he doubled down like a couple of times. What? Whole, but here's the wild part. 
So here's why I don't trust anybody. This whole thing. Um, his company like put out an, a statement of how they let him go. And mm-hmm. his wife slid in my DMs and I was like, ma'am. No, we can't do this. No. He was like, we have to feed our kids. And I was like, he should have thought he about it. have married a racist. Boom. Boom. But someone reached out to me and his company fired him and then replaced him somewhere. They replaced, wait, hold up. You said they fired him. And then and put him at another dealership. They put him at Porsche in Houston. So they just relocated him. Uh-huh. Which goes back to your original point. <laughs> so I'm happy to give you the, the smoke. The, I'm happy to give it to you. Now, can I guarantee your boss cares? Maybe not. Maybe your boss is a racist too. But while mm. we're, we're going to play the game, that's the only game I'm going to play. Is if you're going to come to my page and ask for attention, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm not only just going to give it to you on LinkedIn. Like, I got a Twitter and I got a TikTok. And I'm much more bold on those platforms because I can swear. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh my goodness, sis, that's crazy, sis. And I and like, and I think that's a perfect segue to the DEI stuff. And I'm gonna give you an example, sis. Right. So when I was at a company, I'm not even gonna name the company, right? But like, first time in my career, I was in an ERG. It's about a hundred African American employees, right? But then we get a budget, and then guess who controls the budget? It's not the ERG. It is vice president, CMO, whoever that you know what I'm saying, who happens to not be. Black or African-American. And I see these initiatives. I see the things that these companies are trying to do. And I'm not going to be honest with you. I think it's all bullshit. And that's why I've never joined ERGs. That's why I've never been to that stuff. I just be like, let me get my nine to five and let me go to hell home. So like what like how do we change that perception for somebody like me? Like what, what is what are some of the things? What are some of the good things that have you seen happen as a result of some of your work? Because I have not seen anything in the career of the places that occupations I've been at. So when I hear these companies talk, I just feel like it's all smoke and mirrors. And I'm just curious, like, what are some of the transform transformation or transformative things that you've seen? So I think I'm going to be honest, like I am a cynic. I think most companies are smoke and mirrors. I think a lot of people realize mm. in 2020, they had to get really good at PR. Yeah. And they did something that I believe is such a disservice to black and brown communities because they went online and they said they gave a shit. Yeah. And they toted their donation dollars and they toted their little black squares. Then if you ask anyone inside their organizations, they're traumatized. And so now you've convinced me to come over there. It's like going, it's like when you go on a date with a narcissist and the first date is great. They're bright and shiny. And then you get there and you're like, this is a mess. Absolutely. It's the exact same. And so I think there are lots of companies who do that because they can, because they have the budget to do so. And at the end of the day, yeah. money gets you whatever you want in terms of image. Mm. Um, in terms of companies that are doing it right, I think it really comes down to like, do you honor your employees at the human level? I don't care about your perks. I don't care about your ERG. If you're not doing it right, if you have an ERG as a means to ask people to do more work for free, then I actually think that is more harmful and more rooted in oppression than anything else. Yeah. Um, and a lot of companies do do that. They create these ERGs and they're like, okay, cool. Teach us about your culture. Why is that the responsibility of people in your organization who you're not offering more money to? Why is the budget handled by finance? Why do you not have someone in this group who is in leadership who can help control the budget? Why is that to be someone who's completely outside of this? Oh, yes, because you hired an entirely white, straight leadership team. Ha. Talking. And so for me, the companies that are doing it right are the companies who are, one, owning up to the harm they've caused, because that's the thing. Like, if you can't acknowledge where you've caused harm up until this point, then I can't expect you to do better. Because I think we, we live in this world where we believe in this good and bad binary, whether it comes to our organizations or ourselves. We believe I have to be a good person or I'm a bad person. Yeah. And so if I admit that I've caused harm, then I'm automatically basically saying to myself, I'm a bad person. 
I'm a bad organization and no one wants to do that. So instead they fall on this defensive and they're like, no, 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 we didn't mean that. You know, I didn't mean like that. I'm not no, like no, that. never like that. <laughs> you know me. I'm not like that. And we yeah. see that played out, especially in organizations at the C-suite, because a CEO, a founder does not want to acknowledge where their own biases and their own unpacked stuff have contributed to the culture of their companies. And unless we can get past that point, we can't create change because change starts at the top, not the bottom. Absolutely. Even if you have a ton of people at the individual level who want to create change, guess where change happens, where the money sits. And yeah. so you can do all the ERGs to make people feel like something's happening, but if you don't actually give them the power and the pay to create that change, then it's just a smokescreen. Absolutely. Sis, you, you nailed it. And but and then let's take it a step further, right? So you get the company that's actually doing it well, right? Times get hard. They're laying people off. It's things like that. So I made a post maybe like two, three weeks ago, and I was like, I'm curious, with all these companies and organizations that are doing these layoffs, how was diversity taken into account? Is it only something that we look at when it's good? Is it only something that we're trying to do to show PR and say, hey, this is what we're doing. We're filling our numbers and hitting our quota, so to speak. So like I'm like in your experience. What is that like? What is what goes into those processes to figure out who goes and who stays? So I think it is by design that typically when we see people posting their diversity numbers, um, they're posting hiring, they're not posting attrition. Um, exactly. Because no one wants to publicize who's leaving. And I think that's interesting because if you hired, if, you're, if your little target goal is I hired 12 black men, but 14 left, you didn't even break even. Um, mm. But they don't publicize that, so you don't know. And unfortunately, yeah. I think when people are thinking about layoffs and rifts, they are just thinking about the bottom line. Yeah. In order to think about this in a very intentional way, that also means you're going to have to lose money and most businesses don't want to do that at the end of the day. That's why when you ask most businesses, do you fire racist customers? They say no, because money is money. Money is money. First thing I'll tell you is part of this work means you also don't work with racist customers. You don't also work with racist vendors. You don't work with people who cause harm, period, even if it makes you money. And if they can't do that, then I guarantee you they can't do the layoff thing right, unfortunately. I think most people, when they're looking at layoffs, they're like, where can we cut the most budget? And how can we make this as easy as possible? I mean, we saw it with the guy last year who laid off his whole team via Zoom. Like, yeah. literally, no one gets it right. Yeah. Um, but I especially think companies that pushed this diversity thing and they just hired for numbers, they hired for metrics, they didn't hire for who could I grow, who could I help thrive, who could I protect? Um, are the ones who are going to get it immensely wrong because the thing is diversity is great. Um, yeah. However, if you can't provide people safety, you can't provide them a career path, you can't provide them equitable space to have a career path, then you haven't actually done them a disservice. You were trying to do yourself a service because yeah. you decided that this was all about optics. Yeah. And a lot of companies did that. They just basically were like, oh my God, we got funding. Let's like hire a bunch of women and a bunch of queer people and a bunch of black people and we'll be able to say we're so diverse but if you're not setting those same people up for success you're causing them harm because you're disrupting their lives on two ends you're disrupting them from whatever job it is they're coming from and then you're disrupting them when you let them go and for me that again is just another tool of oppression because you use them to make them you look good in the minute they were no longer useful to you you said mm, it's okay here's a, here's a nice little severance check Good luck to you. And for me, that's deplorable. Oh, sis, you nailed it. I, I can't even say shit after that. <laughs> I'm ready to drop the mic. <laughs> I say, what, what the hell do I follow up with that? <laughs> Where do I go? <laughs> but you nailed it. And I, I, you, you nailed it, sis. Like, real talk. And that's what I'm tired about with playing the game. You know, I've been in a situation where 
where I haven't, when I have had to play the game and had to do that. And I've also seen it on the flip side where I kind of have the leverage, but I also seen the leverage of me having a specific audience used and things like that. Like for instance, I'll just give you an example, the Buffalo massacre. I put something out that was just like, yo, you know, my, my feelings on it. That could be my grandma, my auntie and them. Like I'm fucking pissed. Like, and I just happened to put it on LinkedIn. A company shared it. So I'm like, how do I, how am I supposed to feel like at that moment? Because this is my personal feelings, but the CEO put his feelings in a Slack channel. So why are my feelings being put on the forefront? And I had to really sit there and think about it, analyze it to myself. Like, am I just bugging? Should I be grateful for the look? They got X amount of followers. Maybe people will be drawn to me, but I'm like, yo, it's not even about that. It's like, what are you using me for? And then if you're going to use me for that, where is my money? Where's my where paycheck? Is my money. So I'm, I'm curious. Let's let's talk about that, sis. Like, what do you think about for the people who have audiences like me and yourself? Obviously, mine is nowhere near yours. But like for somebody like myself who would generate X amount, 100,000 impressions, a million impressions. And I can't. The problem is I can't have at you. I don't have any way to attribute. I don't have any way to say how many people figured out or pulled the demo in because they saw Jared on LinkedIn and talking that shit. How many people I know put in the application because they saw Jared on LinkedIn talking that shit. How many people are doing it? And I try to factor that into my pay. It's, oh, well, we, we know it's important, but uh, well, thank you. Eh? Oh. Yo, Jared, can you, can you do the podcast for me? And da, da, da. All right, cool. I'm going like, to need like 5,000 up top. Oh, we're gonna have to discuss this further, and you know and it becomes that type of shit. And I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" But you'd pay somebody else to come in here and do that? Yeah, because it's me who works at the company. It's so. I, what What are your thoughts on that, sis? Like, how do people who have a brand within a company? Where do you think how what other how do they get to the point of monetization for their audience? I think if you're inside a company, like it's very. I'm very clear. Like, we are not using my brand for anything. <laughs> Unless we're working on a contract. And mm. I got and I got people for that. Mm. Um, when it comes to outside of your business, I think it's it's not necessarily that you have to quantify it. Because at the end of the day, like if you promote a product and the product's crap, like you can't guarantee it sells. You're not their salesperson. Right. So that's one of the things I focus on. It's like I can write you the content, I can get you the engagement. You have to do the rest. You have to have a product worth standing on. Exactly. Um, like that's part of this. Like I can't like if you're giving me like an ad to like huck a lima bean and no one wants a lima bean i can't help you but i can give you i can give you the impressions it got i can give you the engagement and i can stand behind my product which is me all damn day mm. and i don't have to give it to anyone for free and like if you don't want it that's cool someone else will mm. and so that's like going back to the thing that you just said about you know having to play the game the one thing that i think has been really helpful to me is diversifying my revenue streams even if it's just little things here and there so like i have a patreon it's not a ton of money. It's like $1,500 a month, but like $1,500 a month. And that means if someone decides to let me go for a shitty layoff or whatever, I have something to fall back on to make sure that I can still put food on my table and feed my family and my dogs and whatever. Um, and knowing that like, I'm not going to do anything for free. Not a thing. I'm not showing up to a conference for free. I am not getting a phone call for free. I am not doing anything for free. And I'm certainly not doing anything for free for someone who is not also black. Like, mm. let's be clear. I pick and choose like what mm. I do if it is free. Um, but I'm certainly not doing a business a favor. I'm not doing a white dude a favor. I'm not doing a straight white lady a favor. Like it's not happening. Um, and for me, that's been really empowering. Um, but also really awesome because you realize that some people are just willing to pay for like whatever. You just got to ask for it. You got to tell them. Because obviously if I'm like, oh, it's free. They're like, oh, free. And sometimes you're like, oh, no, it's 5,000. They're like, oh, 
okay, where do I sign? I had that in the budget, yeah. And I, but I think with internally, you have to be very clear, like if you're going to use my brand to further your brand, that means you have to further my paycheck. And if mm. you want to do that, let's sit down, let's discuss, happy to do it. But until then, my brand is my brand and they will remain separate. That, let's talk about it. I love it, sis. I love it. And you got Patreon. How how really is your content on Patreon? I can imagine. <laughs> we got a book club. We have a book club. We um, a lot of people are actually in it so that if they see my don't see my content on LinkedIn, I still I reshare it there. I'm shadow banned. Yeah. It allows everyone to get my, my content just directly emailed to them every day instead, um, which a lot of people like better than having to like go on LinkedIn because it's kind of a hot mess over there. Mm. Um, but it's been it's been an, it's I'm going on like 10 months of having a Patreon. It's been okay. I don't hate it. Dope. Have you thought about doing like the Chris Brown, like, hey, the meetup and, you know what I mean? The link ups, $1,000, you get to come spend dinner with me, ask me whatever, like some shit like that. You have That's the audience. People love you. Let me take notes. Yes, people love you like that. And shout out to Lola, shout out to Kristen, shout out to Jessica, everybody on the check-in. Love y'all, you know, but um, sis, your audience is like that. Anywhere I go and I've, ever mentioned you in a room like yeah that's this or, or i see you post something madison oh my god i love her and, da, da, da. and like it's it's like that sis but when i'm when i'm telling you as your bro as your friend you can charge that people will pay you money to sit down and just take a picture with you have a linkedin post i'll share you on my page yo that's it that's 500 bucks we take a picture right now <laughs> you know what i mean with the impression I say, like random people from twitter have been like can i venmo you money for like your education and i always think they're gonna send me like 2500 25 bucks. Some woman sent me $500 randomly. And I was like, thank you, random lady. Thanks. <laughs> pass the plug. <laughs> pass the plug. I'm only charging $4.99. Not joking. Not joking with you. <laughs> I wasn't charging anything. I was just existing on Twitter talking shit. I talk a lot of shit. I talk a lot of shit. You know, you know I'm fucking with you. I just know I love you. But that was math. <laughs> now, I mean, what I really want is I really just want my blue check mark. I just want my blue check mark. I've been in like literally every major news like mm. outlet. I just want my blue check. That's it. They won't give it to me. I'm though. surprised. How do we get the blue check on LinkedIn? You have the followers. You have the engagement. No, but I'm saying I want it on Twitter. Like I have, I have all the news articles. I have everything that actually you have to have. And yeah. Still don't do it. Still don't do it. Well, you don't need the blue check. You are the blue check. You shitting me? You know what I'm saying? Let's keep it real. If you're gonna be real, be real. You don't need it. You don't need that validation. It's good to have. It's obviously. I know people that like two thousand followers to have it. I'd be like, Rrr. exactly. I I have ten thousand, like ten thousand on Twitter, ten thousand on TikTok. I'm not really good at Instagram. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, Instagram. I'm not. Instagram is like pictures of food, bath, me in a bathing suit, and like more food. Yeah, the sis, I, I, I do. I, I didn't realize we went we went over too, sis. I just want to say I want to keep you too long, sis. I know you got the fam, and everything, but I really appreciate you for taking the time to chat. I appreciate everything you've done for me, and watching you from afar has inspired me so much. Like I'm just gonna keep it real. Like you, Quentin, are the two black folks that I saw on LinkedIn when I first scrolled when I had two thousand followers and I was using it the the old way, just pitching and connecting with people and doing bullshit. <laughs> You were the only black professionals I saw on the platform. And when I saw your blue hair, I promise you, I said, you know what? And I saw Quentin. He had the fedoras. He was all cool and smooth with the job. I'm like, damn, man. I, where do I fit in? <laughs> and I jumped in. And you guys gave me the confidence. So, like, I'm forever grateful for y'all. I'm always going to have love for y'all. You know when you come to New York. And next time, you better not come to the Bronx and not talk. We can <laughs> meet halfway in the middle in Connecticut. Let's, let's do, sis, I'm going to Nordic. So when I go to Nordic, please. Oh, yeah. Me. You're right near me. 
Please, we have I, a I promise you, I'm bringing me and wifey coming up to Nordic. Perfect. I'm it up and we're going to make it happen, sis. But thank you. You know, I'm rooting for you, sis. Uh, I know you're going to do amazing things. I can't wait to see the book. I can't wait to see all the other amazing things that happen, you know, that you got going on. And please let me know if there's any way I can help you. I, I got a few plugs too, sis. I'm happy to plug you somewhere. Whatever you need, I'm here. Whatever you need. And I just want to tell you, you know, love you to your face. And, you know, for all of us that, that rock with you and, you know, that you inspire, we, we love you. We appreciate you. And keep doing what you're doing, sis. We got your back. Thank you. And right back at you. Anything you need, I got you. Just come to the door. Then I won't win. I got Crocs on. <laughs> no, no, I got you. I'm over there. I got you. Sis. So let's, <laughs> let's keep it real. So thank you, everybody, who for, for the check-in. Thank you for everybody continuing to, to watch and support the show. I really appreciate you guys. And, you know, we're going to, you know, do it again next week. I got the CEO of Stuc um, Stucky's Corporation, Stephanie Stucky. She's an amazing lady. She's going to pull up. And then after, we got Samir um, from CEO of Tent. And after that, we've got Paxton Baker, co-founder of the Washington Nationals, a brother on the, on the board of the Washington Nationals, a major sports team coming through to share the game. We need to know how we get there, guys. We need to know what's popping. So I got you on the plug, sis. It's going to be, I got you on some stuff. But thank you again, guys. Love you. And thank you for another great episode of More Than a Tie. See you guys next week.